Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. As always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. I'm currently sitting in the mountains with... I don't know if I want to call him friend. Uh, with an acquaintance that is on the verge of friend. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but currently we're wearing, working on it. We're working on it. Currently wearing my uh, merino wool base layers from Scentlock. Absolutely love them. Been wearing them all week, and uh, they're absolutely phenomenal. Go check out our boys over at Scentlock. But I am with Waylon Herzig, not Herzing. Ninety percent sure I said that on the first podcast too. You did. Ninety percent sure. But for those of you who don't remember, I had Waylon on back in May, and we talked about spring bear hunting, and we're currently sitting in the, what'd you call it? Salmon River? Salmon River area, Salmon River Breaks. Salmon River area of Idaho. First off, I hate Idaho. <laughs> it's got my number. Like, every time I'm hunting in Idaho, I've just failed miserably. But not all hope is lost. We'll stop tomorrow. One day left. One day left. Fourth quarter. We'll get into all that, but first we have some business to address here. What are my boys' names from Texas? Just we can we can name them. So we got Roddy Meyerbach, Joe Banta. So good clients of mine come out a lot. Have a lot of fun with them. For those of you who didn't listen to the first episode, let's just take this all the way back. I was hunting in 2019 in Idaho. We went to a little bitty town called Atlanta, and we're grabbing a burger at the burger joint there and. There was this crazy old man sitting on the porch. I mean, you know, off his rocker, crazy. And as we were leaving, he just so matter of a fact said to me and my buddies, you boys make sure and keep the dusty side up. And so we're like, okay, yeah, sure. Thought it was an Idaho thing. So I go all around Idaho asking people, what does this mean? I had a guy tell me this and they're like, I, I don't know, dude was crazy. Never heard it before. Usually shiny side up, but. So I tell, I tell Waylon this on the last podcast and I said, I've always wanted to get a t-shirt made that says keep the dusty side up. Waylon has this guy rolling the camp with a t-shirt that says keep the dusty side up. Because <laughs> he listened cool. to the last pretty episode, cool. which was cool. Waylon also said that if you don't kill a bear with him, you suck. <laughs> He's that good of a guy that if you can't kill a bear, you suck. We were kind of talking about one particular guy, and he's we're become gonna, a friend. We give him crap all the time. I'm not gonna name any names, Joe. But, but yeah, yeah, Joe. Um, anyway, I'm <laughs> not gonna name any names. So Joe rolls into camp with a shirt that says Waylon says I suck. <laughs> well, Joe, listen, I owe you a very public apology. 
because I didn't kill a bear either. <laughs> so <laughs> I suck also too. sucks. <laughs> I suck too. So you're not in that boat alone. Um, Waylon says I suck as well. So <laughs> we're gonna get him a t-shirt too. We're, we're gonna, we'll get to that story too here in a minute. But we talked about in the first episode. We talked about spring bears. Now let's talk about early season elk hunts. How to be successful on early season elk hunts. Um, I'm excited for you to teach me how to be successful on early season elk hunts because we haven't been thus far. Um, so I'm excited to dive into it. But before we move on any further, I do have to say, we're just taking a break from our deer hunting 101 series. That will, that will resume next week. Um, so if you're following along with that series, uh, last week where we talked about tactics on how to hunt whitetails, that series will resume next week. This is just a pause break in that series to talk early season elk hunting with Waylon. So, um, real quick before we go on, for people who didn't listen to the first episode, introduction to yourself, how you got here, how you own your own outfit, how you became a guide, what got you here? So, my family moved here when I was younger, when I was a teenager, and just started hunting, started to love elk hunting. Killed my first bull when I was 14 and loved it ever since. Got into guiding later in life after owning a construction business and doing other stuff. And just started actually working for several different outfitters in my spare time, time that I was laid off in the winter or couldn't do construction. And just kind of got into it more and more to where I was running my own camps, getting my own percentage, doing all the line hunts for certain outfitters, just doing a lot of stuff to the point where I'm like, well, I just I want to own my own outfit. So I ended up buying it. And now we're running it the way we want to run it, doing a lot of good things. Got a lot of good guides working for us, some of the best, good camps. Old Joel. We got Joel Dawson. I mean, we flew this guy in from Michigan. He's one of the best. Top world notch, class world mustache, class. decent world class elk collar, mediocre guide. Yeah, mediocre guy, but he has a world class mustache by far. He's known all around Idaho. So just for reference, Joel is sitting here. We're we're sitting underneath a full moon. We'll get there in a minute as to why that sucks for us this week. We're sitting underneath the full moon by a fire. Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice little campfire. Nice little campfire in the mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. This is the first night it's cooled off anywhere near enough to have a fire. Feels great. We got Joel here sitting on the side, and uh, he said because of a non-disclosure agreement he signed with the Mustache Alliance, he's not allowed to do any podcasts. <laughs> so at this time, at this time, so uh, he's just listening. In. We might reference him and ask him some questions, but he didn't want to be mic'd up. So that covers that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, early season elk hunts. So first off, why has this week been rough? Well, it's hot, it's smoky. There were a couple of big forest fires really close. The smoke keeps blowing in and out. The wind's been blowing the smoke in and out. Now we have a full moon and it's early season. So they don't bugle a lot, they don't talk a lot. So this time of year, you have to be patient. You gotta slow play them, little cow calls here and there. If you can get them to talk, be patient. They're probably gonna come in silent. I mean, just the basics. It's not like a bull's gonna scream in, come running in, charging in, ready to fight. Which they have not at all anywhere close to been talking this week. No, nope. just a few, like we'll do some location bugles, a few will answer us back. They're not, we get closer, they're not really interested. We're hearing a few cow calls. We did call a bull in to 10 yards three days ago, the younger bull. 
the two other guys in camp weren't able to get a shot or they didn't choose to take the shot i think they wish they would have now yeah but that's the only one we've had in shooting range this week but we hope to change that in the morning with one day left try to get dylan on one tomorrow now just so everybody's clear like the preference the the whole point of this podcast is to teach and inspire um and so i am a huge advocate of getting a guide now let me let me say this you have to be careful about the guides you do choose like i want to find guides that will teach me like i want to find guides that i can learn from because that's why i hire a guide not just to get me on a bull not just to help me hunt but so that i can learn it's a good learning experience exactly because do it yourself over the counter that's really cool and that's you know that's bad to the bone and that makes you look really cool but when you hire a guide it'll save you a lot of heartache when you do decide to go buy an over-the-counter tag exactly now this is public ground i mean we're hunting as as hard as you can do it um not a lot of hunters in this area because we're kind of back in quite a ways but we do have other hunters but they haven't been a problem this week at all but we do what we can to stay away from them stay out of everybody's way do our own thing we still have other hunting pressure public land so that's part of any outfitter in idaho some guys have private ranches they lease but that's a different kind of hunt different experience right this is the real deal public land hunting exactly and might i just say um not only find a guide that'll teach you find a guide that'll stinking cook like you're eating like i'm eating this week this has been i've never gained weight in the west on a mountain hunt um and i have this week because we eat like kings well a lot of stuff we can't control we can't control the weather can't control the hunting but we can control the camp environment try to have a good time show everybody a good time good food make sure everybody has everything they need and then hunt hard yeah now about the smoke i want to i want to jump back to that real quick talked about the fires that's completely out of our control we can't handle that whatsoever but I try to tell people as simply as I can, think like an animal. If you don't like it, the animals don't like it either. Exactly. If you are burning hot and don't want to do stuff, the animals don't either. And that's what we've had this week. It's been... They're just not active. It's been 85 degrees in the day. I mean... Yep. A lot of stuff working against this. Now it's full moon. If they are doing any kind of anything, they're coming out at night probably. By morning, they're bugling a little bit and then bedding. So it's a really tough week right now. A lot of stuff working against us. Hopefully we hear some fire off while we're sitting here recording. That'd be cool. It's cooled off almost 20 to 5 to 30 degrees in the last couple days, so it's a lot cooler. Maybe that'll kick things off. But it's early season. You have a lot better chance of killing a big bull than you do later in the season because he doesn't have cows, so he's searching. You know, a few cow calls here and there. Slow play it. Don't go crazy with the calls. Call too much. Just kind of slow play it. See if you can get a bull to come in. He's starting to look for cows. Right now is the prime time for that. So your chances of killing a big bull early season are a lot better than later when he has a bunch of cows. I want to talk about calling here in just a second. But before we do, i got to give a quick thank you to my friends over at Koa Optics. Um, anytime I'm in the mountain, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of just how good their optics are. Um, their spotting scopes are second to none. I've absolutely fallen in love with their glass. It's some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. Their 55 spotting scope is the smallest, most packable spotting scope ever. And uh, it's super light, but still offers you really good glass. Can't wait to hook 
Waylon up with one. I can't wait to try it. It's great, dude. I mean, it's one of those scopes that I can throw in any backpack. I can leave in my truck. I can put in my golf cart. Yeah, that's my hunting buggy. It's a golf cart. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> but I can take that scope with me everywhere, and it still gives me really good glass. So, guys, if you're in the market for optics, I would highly recommend checking out Koa Optics. You can get really stellar deals on them. Um, SNS runs some sales on them. Uh, optics Planet runs some sales on them. Um, yeah, there's some. As far as being an outfitter and having something like that, it's a game changer because most spotting scopes are big, heavy, bulky, and we don't end up taking them. So if you have something that's lightweight, compact like that, oh yeah, definitely a good tool to have. Absolutely. Um, so calling. One of the other guys in camp, one of the other hunters, was jokingly talking about a guy who said his number one elk hunting tip is the ABCs of elk hunting, always be calling. And your boy Mike so graciously told him that's the stupidest thing he's ever heard. Yeah. Um, in really nice verbiage, he said it, you know. Yeah, that was his nice way of putting it. That's, that's a horrible idea. So, somebody who's just diving into elk hunting. I've got a lot of guys who reach out to me um, about elk hunting, and I'm like, listen, find somebody who knows much more than I do because I don't know anything. So, for somebody who's just getting into elk hunting, maybe they're about to head out on the first elk hunting trip ever, um, what are your calling tips? So as far as calling, especially this time of year, or calling at any time, if you can learn, if there's any way for you to learn how to talk to, the, what to say, not just throw a bunch of calls out there, but actually try to talk to the elk. If you ever listen to elk or listen to any kind of recordings of elk and you know what they're doing, if they're going to bed or they're talking to each other or it's a lost cow, or just knowing what kind of call you're putting out or you're a cow in heat, just knowing what kind of call that you're actually doing to get this bull to respond. It might be one certain call that you did that he's responding to that he likes that's the same one you're going to want to keep doing to make him come in now one thing that i didn't i didn't understand about calling elk is a lot of people think like if they're bugling they're coming in like oh crap i got a bull he's bugling at me he's coming in right that's and one of the biggest mistakes so a lot of people say oh every time i bugle this bull answers me well that might be true but 90% of the time, he's just keeping tabs on you. He wants to know where you are at all times. He wants to make sure right. you're not moving closer on to him, so you be able to answer. And guys play that game for an hour and a half when actually that bull's gathering cows and he's going to his bedding area, but he's keeping tabs and making sure you're not following him. Yeah. Once you figure out if a bull's coming or going, it's a big difference. It takes a long time to learn what that bull's doing, but a lot of times that's what he's doing. He's keeping tabs on you, making sure you're not getting any closer. A lot of times if you do, you try to close that distance, he'll shut up. He doesn't want to give up his location. Just like you don't. Exactly. So there's a lot to calling. I mean, there's 20 years of calling for me. I learn, every year I learn a little bit more. And uh, that is something like, you see that mistake so many times of like, guys just ripping off and again this is just from you know stories i've been told and watching videos but you see guys ripping off and then a bull answers and they're like i got this bull unlocked yep. and he's coming in on a wire and that's the furthest thing from the truth but that's what happens so you get a guy that doesn't know much and he bugles back and forth and they they talk back and forth back and forth well then it's silent all of a sudden he's he's done he's got to his bedding area he's safe that guy figures out, man, what happened? You know, that, did I spook this bull? Did I blow him out? When actually, he was playing you the whole time. And now he's got his cows, and there's really nothing you can do. Nope. So, so if, in if, that scenario, what does a hunter do? So if you know what's going on, you can kind of tell by the way they're calling. Maybe get ahead of them. You got to get between that bull and the cows somehow. 
So when he's calling, don't keep bugling to him. Shut up and try to get closer. And if you're making noise, say you're snapping sticks, get cow call your way and don't bugle anymore. If you could leave one guy behind you that keeps bugling so he thinks that bull's back there, that's a perfect case scenario. If he thinks the bull stayed on the ridge 200 yards back and the cows are coming, he'll talk to you and stand there and let those cows come. But if you bugle your way to him, he's probably going to keep moving. Just little things. If you have two guys calling and one guy can bugle and the other guy can cow call his way, that guy's going to get a shot normally. Another thing that I've learned this week is, you know, you say, let's call for a minute and then just shut up, and that's when they'll come in. Because just like you said, that bull immediately thinks like, okay, now he's quiet. Does he have a bunch of cows? Like, can right. I take his cows? It's a game you play with them. It's a little stealth games. So they're playing a game with you constantly, which you don't know that at the time. You think, oh, every bull that answers you, he's fired up. He's coming in. Right. Which, like I said, most of the time they're actually just trying to keep tabs on you. They have cows. They're making sure you're not moving in on them. So if you can literally cow call your way into them, that works a lot better. Yeah. That would be my major tip. And don't call too much. Stop calling. See if he's got closer or if he's further away. When you stop calling, they can't keep tabs on you. They want to know where you're at. All right. So help the gentlemen out. Help the guys out who are going out together. Two homies going to hunt elk. How do they set up? So if you and Joel are out hunting, you're calling for Joel. How are you going to set that scenario up for Joel to get the shot? So basically what we do is like, okay, you called yesterday. Today's my day to shoot. Okay, that's fine. I'll stay back. So we'll go locate a bull. You know, we'll walk our ridges, find a spot where we know they are. He'll usually stay back. If I'm the shooter, I'll move closer, as close as I can without calling. Say I get within 75 to 100 yards, I might throw out a cow call or two. When I do that, he's going to bugle. So that bull's still way back there. He's 200 yards away. Well, the cow's 100. That really gets that elk interested because he thinks the bull's back. So if he thinks he can steal that cow, I mean, that's, that's huge. So that's he just, thinks Joel is the cow. You're the bull. Well, it depends on who the shooter is. If I'm the shooter, I'm the cow. Right. So and you want to be the cow. Joel's staying in one spot. Maybe, Joel, maybe Joel's dropping back. Maybe he's dropping further away as I'm getting closer. So he thinks that cow is coming to him. So he'll keep talking. If he thinks that bull's pulling away and he, he left a cow, he's going to beagle a lot more, especially if the beagling gets further and further away and he keeps tabs on the bull. That cow's getting closer. He's going to try to call you in. Yeah, you've told me several stories this week, and I even saw Mike do it once, like run the other way. Um, yep. Like while he's calling, you're set up, you're trying to be dead quiet, but he's causing a lot of ruckus, sprinting the other way. Stomping, you know, big steps. They don't like anything that sneaks. Predators sneak. You know, anything that takes big, heavy steps and stomps is usually an elk. Or, you know, it's, it's not a predator. So that kind of stuff they like. They'll even answer. You can stomp your feet, take big steps, do some raking, break some stuff. They like that. They'll stand there. They'll even answer you. Like, hey, I'm right here. Yeah. And what, so, so when he runs off, he's basically trying to paint the scenario in the other bull's head that that bull has just ran away and left his cow. And yep. so he's gonna draw, by doing that, he's gonna draw that bull past the shooter. Exactly, so the shooter's not actually there. If he starts coming to you, stay still, set up, don't cow call anymore. Let him come to you. You can't close that last distance. Obviously, he'll see you. So you can shut up, make him curious, have him keep bugling his way so he comes to check you out. Now, you basically create a fake scenario in your head and go with that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Every situation is a little bit different. 
And so the wind, that, the wind is a key factor. You're playing, you're playing the wind too. Right. That can all go great, and the bull's coming in, the wind swirls, it, everything's over. One thing that I, we talked about this a little bit on the, in the Deer 101 series where we talked about calling whitetails, and the same is true for elk. Like, think about it, think about it in like our terms, our perspective. Like, you walk into a into a, a restaurant or a bar, and you're looking to pick up a girl. Like you see a dude go to the restroom and leave his girl, you move in. Yep, exactly. You, that's when you go in. And, and the same is true, like we even talked about, you know, littler bulls coming into calls and, you know, a little bull is not going to run in if he thinks he's about to get his tail whooped. Right. Same with, I mean, I'm not going to move in on. There's a cute girl there sitting there with five guys. I'm not going to move in on Joel's wife because Joel will lay the smack down on me. <laughs> all right. All the while never even messing up his mustache. So I'm not going to move in on that. Like. <laughs> You know what I mean? So you think he's out of the picture and gone, then it's free game. And so a lot of guys come in there with the biggest, baddest bugles they can, but all you're doing is saying like, "I'm the biggest, baddest bull in the woods," and you're going to get your tail whooped if you come in here. And that's the other thing. I mean, it's squealy bugles. I think try to sound like a younger bull. You sound like the biggest, baddest bull on the hill. There's a time and a place for that, but that, that's risky. That's a challenge. If you get between that bull and it's a herd bull and his cows and do that, he might come into fight. But I would say 80 to 90% of the time, you don't want to sound like a big bad bull because he's going to grab his cows and move. So what are some things like as early season, as early season starts progressing into that rut? Because like you and Mike have, have both said this week, like it's that time where it takes one cow and all of a sudden these woods are firing off in every direction and it's a whole different hunt. So what does a hunter start to look for to realize like, oh snap, like this is it? You know well, I mean? the, weather, the weather really seems to put these cows into heat. So when the weather pattern changes, the cows start coming into heat. You go to a drainage, there's nothing. You go there the next day, you got four, five, six bulls, just the whole drainage is lit up. You got one cow in there and they're all after it. So you got, a bull that's got that cow maybe and trying to keep her and then you have satellite bulls that are all around so that's why you have four to five bulls or six maybe answering each other keeping tabs on each other where they are so the second that bull maybe goes to fight another bull some satellite bulls try to slip in and steal that cow they're all they're all fighting over one girl basically all right go back time out this is we're talking we're talking elk early season elk 101 so when you're talking herd bulls satellite bulls Tell me what, exactly what you mean by that. So there's always going to be a bigger bull if there's a cow in heat that's going to try to come in there and take her. And then as he gets her, he's going to try to get more and more. So early season, this is just beginning to happen. So that's why these cow calls and slow pulling this time of year, this first week, maybe the second week of September, you're really trying to call that big bull in that's trying to gather cows. He's trying to get a group of cows. So he might come in dead silent too. That's the other thing. You have to be super patient when calling. We always set up for an hour and try to stay at least an hour. Call for an hour, not call straight for an hour, but call off and on for an hour and wait. Nothing happens, move, try it again. Go to another spot, you know there's elk, set up, do it again. Just keep setting up and calling and be patient. Because this time of year, a lot of times they'll come in silent, especially the younger bulls. So we've also talked several times about that mistake. Like, and we even saw a guy do it. Um, that mistake of like driving to a point, calling, not hearing anything, driving to the next point, like trying to cover as much ground as you can, as fast as you can. Essentially, that's the idea behind it, I think. Why is that bad? Well, that's just inexperience. That's a guy that comes in here that doesn't know the area. He drives to a certain point, 
which these certain points are points that everybody does it at. He drives out to that point, gets out of his side-by-side or four-wheeler, does a bugle, does a cow call, waits five, ten minutes, drives off. Well, he's the fourth guy that's done that that day in that spot. The elk start to realize that. You know, that's not an elk over there. So they, you they educate the them. Four, they heard the four-wheeler shut off and yeah. call. And then... They're very smart. Now. You, you, he's basically educating those elk and making them a little more call shy. So knowing that, like, if you know... I found myself in an area where a lot of guys are doing that. How do you overcome the call shy of those elk that have been hunted that way? So the way I do it, instead of bugling to locate, is cow call and be patient. Everybody wants to blow on that bugle because you get a reaction, which once you blow on that bugle, they think there's a bull there automatically. If you could not blow on that bugle this time of year and just cow call, maybe there's two of you, cow call back and forth and work your way towards that bull making noise, stomping your feet, cow calling, talking to each other back and forth, doing that, your chances are a lot better than trying to bugle your way into a bull. Yeah. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about, well, we'll get there in a second, but I got to take a loop back. I got to I gotta take a step back and admit my flaws and admit my failures and uh, talk to my boy Joe here for a minute. So, <clears throat> basically what had happened was we were hunting for elk in the morning, and I would sit for bears in the evenings um, just because the way the wind was acting wasn't good for chasing elk. So we would, I would go and sit for bears in the evenings. And night one was a phenomenal night. I saw two bears, had one around me for an hour and a half, a beautiful chocolate bear. Um, really enjoyed that sit. Never took a shot, never got a shot. Went back the second night. And I had this bear work its way in, playing cat and mouse with me for, I don't know, an hour and a half. He would come in to 23 and jump back out and play at 40 for a bit and then come into, you know, 18 but behind me and jump back out to 40 and just playing cat and mouse with me. Came to half draw. This was my recurve. Came to half draw twice on this bear and he would then turn my direction so I'd be stuck at half draw. Just a, a really fun experience with this bear. He finally comes in, gives me a 17-yard shot, and I felt good about the shot, um, but I was a bit high. So, saw the arrow go in high. It wasn't much. There wasn't much height on the tree stand, um, so maybe that's where I was wrong. But shot a bit high. Arrow looked to have come out about mid body, and so. I thought, man, I definitely got that back lung. That bear's going to die. Um, I radioed in, and I'm like, hey, listen, I just shot a bear, but hit it a bit high. we got to give it a couple hours. And so we pull out, come back to camp, and uh, we go in to look for this bear. And I found, we found our, my arrow, got a pass through, found my arrows, covered in what some would think good blood, but... Good pass through, looked good. But usually when you get that super dark blood with meat in it that indicates a high hit definitely um, no, no there's no light blood no lung blood so that didn't look promising um again i really had thought i probably got that back lung um didn't have good blood at all and of course this time of year they're covered in fat so those fat just plugs the holes and you know it wasn't bleeding well and so we pull out and give it the night i mean it was dark so we didn't really want to go into head high 
junk looking for a wounded bear. So we pull out. Um, I think Waylon was wanting things to get a little western and go a little nuts in there, but uh, no. I'm <laughs> we definitely kidding. looked a little further than we should have. <laughs> no blood trail, six foot high brush, and got to the point where it was just there wasn't enough blood trail to follow. We kind of figured he was still alive in there. There wasn't enough blood, so best case scenario at night is just to back out. Yeah, so we back out. Um, I couldn't sleep and uh, went in the next morning and looked for a couple hours and just, at that point it was a needle in a haystack. We had no blood to follow and again, like Waylon said, I mean, head high, grass and dead fall. And I mean, this, is, this had, is not open area at all. Thick brush, thick timber. stepped on that bear to find it, yep. literally. Um, and so we didn't find that bear and uh, I was excited, man. It had been my first bear with a recurve and I was pretty pumped, but. Um, nice know, color phase. It is what it is. Yeah, it was a beautiful light, light brown bear with a blonde back and uh, a beautiful bear, but you know, it just didn't happen. So um, Joe, you're not the only one that sucks, I guess. So. Yep, it's part of bow hunting. We but, all do it, it sucks, but. Let me, let me just say this, like, I, I, I have to throw this in there like don't give up like don't quit don't throw in the towel like I went out the very next night with my recurve again um, don't don't throw in the towel don't give up like you're going to have those times where you mess up you're gonna have those times where you you fail and and you know to be honest I wish I would have missed more and not hit the bear I think we all better from it though I mean that that's a learning experience every time I've lost an animal or missed an animal, I've learned from it and, you know, thought over and over how I could change that, how I could fix 100%, that. hundred percent, yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I do want to take, I, I say all that to say this, you have to remember guys, when you're bear hunting, especially in the fall, those bears look a lot bigger than they are. A um, lot more fat on them. A lot more fat, the fur is a lot thicker. Yep. Um, you have to take that into consideration. So what looked like mid-body to me was probably still a high hit a little higher than it should have been that back is still covered in fat um and so hair's a little longer you have to take that into consideration so you know i practice on my 3d bear target all the time but in the fall you just have to remember those bears look a lot bigger than they are reference that back shoulder reference that back leg and shoot over it and and you know I, again i would change things if i could um, but i can't and so i wish i had that bear but i don't so um, they don't get rubbed up here either. They have a lot of long hair, which makes them look bigger. I mean, we're at 6,900 foot here, almost 7,000 elevation we're hunting. So they don't get rubbed up like they do down low. Yeah. So they always look a little bit bigger, harder to judge, a little more fat on them. Lots of berries up here to eat, so plenty of food. Yeah. Um, that leads me into, I gotta give a shout out to our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. They're your one-stop shop for all things traditional. If you're a traditional archer, you absolutely need to check out Three Rivers Archery. They are a plethora of knowledge. I call them all the time um, about, you know, how to tune this bow or how to tune that bow or, you know, I'm shooting this bow at this poundage, this length of arrows, what weight of broadhead do I need? I, I ask them all that kind of stuff. They're fantastic to give information. They know the equipment because they use the equipment. They're the largest selection of in-stock in stock, uh, retail equipment, uh, um, recurve and longbow equipment. So I would highly recommend you if you're getting into traditional archery they are a phenomenal source of information but they also have all the products you would ever need to shoot traditional archery um i bet joel uses three rivers every once in a while no okay um so 
I think he's snoozing over there. Joel, are we boring you? <laughs> not, <laughs> not yet. yet. Yeah. No, he said you're getting there. But Might have been yet. that ribeye steak we fed him earlier. Maybe that dessert, not sure. Oh my gosh. Like I said, we eat like stinking kings. I've never been in the mountains and had enchiladas and ribeyes and chicken parmesan and golly. Like I said, it's the one thing you control the camp environment. We try to show everybody a good time. Got to cook good food. Yeah. Now, uh, back to elk, back to early season elk. They're not calling, they're not cooperating. You can't get them to communicate. What do you do? Like, I mean, talking, can, about, talking about slow playing, but like at what point do you say, we gotta make moves, how do you make those moves? So, as far as hunting here, right, right where we're at, we've been hunting these areas for years, so, so we know where they're at. I mean, we have a general idea of where they are. So, each day, like we've been doing, we get close to those areas, but not close enough to blow them out, and call. Maybe they're in the timber, maybe they're by a wallow. Try to call your way in there, look for signs, see if they're there. You get there, like we have been, there's fresh sign everywhere, so we know they're there. It's not like we're searching for elk, we're just trying to get them to cooperate a little bit. So just be patient. Maybe instead of calling for an hour, you set up, call for two hours. You know, off and on, slowly though, slow play. Don't get crazy with bugles, just a little bit of calling here and there. This guy's biggest mistake is, they just want to hear a bugle so bad. They want to hear a reaction. So if you call a whole bunch, a lot of times you get a reaction. Well, you get a reaction from that bull because he's getting up and leaving. He didn't like that. So be patient. Try to slow play him. Slow playing is one of the hardest things there is to do for a new elk hunter or even somebody with 20 years experience. You want to hear something. Even though you know it's there, you're trying to keep your client interested. Otherwise, he's looking at you like, is there anything out there, you know, which right. we know there is. We show you the sign. We say, hey, these tracks weren't here. These tracks are on top of ours. So we're showing you there's elk there. It's just the time of year. It's it's tough to hunt this time of year. A lot of guys don't like it. They, they like to hunt the peak of the rut. Well, you have a lot more hunters. It's harder to call on a big bull. But So that scenario two nights ago where that bull came in, that was essentially picture perfect as to what you're talking about exactly you didn't walk up onto that ridge and bugle and a bull rip off and then run in nope so walk me through what happened with that so we sat up on the ridge up top where we could hear into both sides of a drainage did a few cow calls probably sat around 10 15 minutes did a few more the wind wasn't perfect it was kind of blowing almost down in that direction so we stayed up top probably 40 minutes went by and a bull beagles and he's three, 400 yards down in the bottom where, where he should be. So we talk back and forth a little bit and he's, we hear a few cow calls and pretty soon I hear him down there. He's, he gets up and he's raking a tree. He's down there making noise. Well, we talk to him back and forth slowly off and on with cow calls. Mike and I are both calling a little bit. And then we kind of sit down and quit for about 15 minutes. About that time, start hearing heavy steps. So here comes, a, not even the bull we were talking to, but a younger bull starts up the hill. We didn't know it at the time. We just, he let out one kind of squealy bugle, so we knew it was a different bull. And for about 10 minutes, he kind of went back and forth and he tried to get our wind. We were on top of a knob, so the wind was blowing over the top of him. Well, I had two hunters set up there. And the way he came in, they both had it in their mind that we would practice it all week. Pick a spot, pick where you're gonna draw, when his head's maybe behind a tree or his head's down, find an opening that you're gonna shoot him in that he comes through. Well, this bull popped out, waited. Mike had dropped back, was cow calling. This bull covered 40 yards. He sprinted through the 40 yard gap. 
He was nine to 10 yards from us, and now he's quartering towards us, so neither one of these guys can draw. And he's just staring, he doesn't see us, but he's staring back where the calling is coming from. Well, he's just heard maybe eight, 10 cows and a few, few beagles here and there. So he doesn't see any of these elk. So that's why I recommend a decoy. If you can deploy a decoy behind you, that'll- Behind 90, the hunters. Behind the hunters, in between you and the hunters. So the caller's behind the decoy. The decoy's in between you and your clients, your hunters. If they see that and they actually see an elk after they hear all those calls, that's helped us tremendously over the years to close that extra 40 yards you need, 50 yards, close that distance. So what's the benefit of having two callers? Create more of a herd yep, scenario? Yep, so you're not, to them, you're not actually calling back and forth to them, you're calling to each other. Might be uh, some cow so, calls in between. So, so you, you and Mike are painting the scenario that you're, yep. you are communicating with each other. Yeah, we're not, we're not, say we're ignoring them basically. We're talking to each other, bugling back and forth. Well, they get curious and want to check out. Sounds like a party, you create a party up there. Man, there's cows up there, there's bulls, there's a lot of stuff. I gotta go see this. Because you know? again, think about it in human terms. Like if you see a, a, a I mean, you name it, a, a restaurant and it's full of people and full, you're like, dang, this must be good. Looks like, like a fun place to stop. I need to roll in here. Yeah. Curiosity. Now, now what is the, you keep talking about squirrely bugles and like, how do you, how does a hunter tell that's a big mature bull or that's a young bull? Well, 90% of the time, which I've been fooled before when bulls stepped out, they have a lot deeper growly. So a lot of them, a big old bull will have a growly deep. We call him a growler. There's, oh, there's a growler down there. We need to get him checked out, check that bull out. Well, young bulls are always a little squealy, a little fluty. But I have seen big bulls where it's a squealy little bull coming in. He steps out and it's a nice bull. Yeah. You know, it's not always that this, I've been fooled before, but I'd say 90% of the time, a big, deep growling bull is a mature bull. Yeah. So one thing that I know we talked about on the tactics episode of Deer 101, and the same is true for elk. Everybody wants to know that perfect elk call. How do I make the perfect bugle? How do I make the perfect sounds? But in all reality, I mean, just like people. They all every, sound different. Every bull sounds different. Like, you're not going to make a sound that sounds like every bull. There isn't. So every so there might be three guys calling. Say there's two or three of us calling. And we all blow a different, different bugle than you do. Yeah, every time. My, two people are never going to bugle the same. And there might be one cow car, one bugle that bull's interested in. And that's, we'll just let him do that. You know, we know that from hunting together, from guiding, from, you know, you, you learn from all this. Say, hey, he really liked that cow call. Keep doing that cow call. So he'll come into that. You figure out what he's really reacting to and go with that. And we're all going to sound different. So you're out there and you're trying to learn from me. So you're trying to cow call like I am. It's not going to happen. Nobody cow calls exactly the same, which is good. They all sound a little different, just like an elk herd. Yeah. What's that, what's that one story like that sticks out in your mind of being like uh, most memorable hunt? Like it played out perfect. It was exciting. Um, it's probably a hunt that I had, I'd say it's five years ago now. We had a bull that we'd kind of been after for a while. We knew, he, well, we knew about the bugle. He sounded the same. We'd hear him down the same spot. And we walked in there. We walked for two hours in the dark to get close to this bull. A guy named Alex Cameron and another guy named Jack went with me. And 
we got within probably 60, 70 yards of this bull. Well, he had a bunch of cows. We could see cows, we could hear cows. Never did see him, but we heard him. He dropped probably a thousand feet elevation down to this bench where there's water and he bedded. Well, we sat up there for probably another two hours waiting for the thermals to change. They were blowing right down to him. Once they changed, we said, hey, you only got one day left. Let's, let's kind of make or break. Let's, let's slip down there and see what happens. So we start slipping our way down there. We're not calling, we're not doing anything. We're just walking down. Well, he hears it's coming. So he lets off a bugle. So of course I'm like, well, I better let, you know, let out a few cow calls. He'd bugle. We just kept slipping closer, closer to where we got within, I'd say 80 to 100 yards of where we thought this bull was. I cow call back and forth for maybe an hour and a half. This goes on for another hour. I start bugling, I'm running across the hill. I'm trying to sound like a bull that's separated from cows. Well, he's bedded the whole time. We finally just keep slipping closer and closer to this bull, which I normally never do. I'd usually just say, he's bedded, let's back out, let's come back later. So this was kind of taking a big chance. We slipped right into his bedding area. I kept pushing the hunter a little further. We get within probably 30 yards of him. I let out a big nasty bugle. So he immediately jumps up, starts raking a tree. Now I run back up the hill and start cow calling. He just turns, comes straight towards the hunter. He puts one right behind his shoulder. I'm watching all this. I bugle. He turns around, starts to come towards me again. He puts a second arrow right there, three inches away. This bull literally runs 40 yards, tips upside down, done. I mean, it was perfect case this scenario. This is the guy that throws his bow. Yeah. He gets excited. Yeah. He says, this one. is the stuff you see on the videos. Throws his bow. I mean, he is jacked. When a guy's that excited, it That's takes that long to make it happen. It was almost two o'clock in the afternoon. We've been hunting this bull since we literally hiked in there two hours in the dark. We killed this bull at two o'clock in the afternoon, which is kind of unheard of. So the whole story is just really cool. It was a really nice, big old bull, big six point. So that was a scenario too that I, I asked you about at one point, like, what if we see a bedded bull? How do you make that move? And you had told me like, you know, cows are gonna be spread out and facing all different directions. Well, that's a lot of eyes. So how do you, how does a hunter sees a bedded bull, like is tempted to sneak in there? How, I would, did, how does that scenario play out? Your best case scenario is watch that bull. I mean, if you can stay out there all day, keep an eye on that bull. If you see a bedded bull, play the wind, wait till he gets up, let him get up and then start. Maybe if you know which direction they're gonna feed, you saw him the day before, or you know which way the cows start feeding and the wind's right, try to get in front of them, get set up in front of them, position yourself in his path. So you had mentioned if you can get between a bull and his cows. Well, in that scenario, how does somebody get between a bull and his cows? In this country, it's super hard. If you can see, if you can see a little further, it's a little flatter, like this is steep country. It's really hard to do that. If you can position yourself between the bulls and cows really close to where you have some cows on your right, bulls maybe on your left, slip down there and let out a big bugle where he thinks you're coming, challenge him, he'll come in. Now, another thing you just mentioned too, you said waiting for the thermals to change. I know that's a big topic and you could, we could do a whole episode on thermals. Um, give me the, the rundown on thermals, how to understand thermals. So on a clear day, on a typical day, cold, clear day, thermals are always going downhill. And where we're hunting, we're, we're above the elk most of the time. So 
we're trying to go down a, a ridge that's maybe next to them. You can't go down the ridge they're on. You can't, you can't go directly towards them. So you got to go past them, try to drop down, and then side hill to them. Well, say that takes three hours to do that, the sun comes up by now. So now the thermals start going up. Once it starts warming up and the sun hits, the thermals switch. So you have to switch your game plan. So if you're in the middle of this stock, the, therm the, whole, the whole hunt's off the wind. And if you have a cloudy day, the wind swirls. The wind's swirling and there's a big bull you're out there, it's got cows, I'd be patient and back out. I mean, that's my advice. So 101, typical clear day, thermals are dropping in the morning, rising in the afternoon. Yes. Yep. Now, once you, you know that, I mean, it's just another tool you can use at any time of the year, whether it's rifle hunting, bow hunting, any time. One of, of the most important tool, like, well, before one I get of the into most that, important definitely is the wind. When I before I get into that, um, you said waiting for the thermals to change. How does a hunter know? Like, because it's not like the wind; you can't feel the thermals. So, how do you know they've changed? Wind checker. Gotta check that wind. And that'll show you thermals too. Yep. Same thing. It, you can feel the thermals, if you use your wind checker, it, it moves with the thermals just like wind. Same exact as the wind. Now, um, I, I wanted to go back. Understanding thermals is something that's not only important for elk hunting. I feel like a lot of, a lot of whitetail hunters completely neglect thermals. And what I mean by that, like, I've had areas where I can't get a good wind, there's deer in every direction, and I have two choices. I can put a tree stand really high and then hunt where thermals are rising, that way the thermals, all my scent's going above the deer. Or, one thing that I, and that coincides with barometric pressure, so like if the barometric pressure is rising, then my scent is rising. Um, but what I can do also is a ground blind and I can sit in that ground blind with dropping thermals and it's going to push that scent into the ground and my ground blind can contain it. Um, so I think whitetail hunters a lot of times miss thermals um, and how that plays such an important role in what you're doing. Just it's a learning experience, any kind of hunting. Once you start playing exactly. the wind, the thermals, it just it makes you a better hunter. And we talked about, it was a couple episodes ago, we had Aaron Warbritton on from the hunting public. And we talked, he talked about how, you know, the wind doesn't really always tell the whole story. He talked about a, a specific property where, you know, the wind's blowing this way, but a creek, you know, where the thermals were dropping, it was pulling his scent into that creek bank and yep. pulling his scent down the creek bank. So even though the wind's blowing that way, his thermals were pulling this way to the creek and running with the creek. And so... And on an open hillside there. and the timber, it's the same way too. So you're on an open hillside, the thermals might be completely different in the wind until you get into that timber and then it switches because yeah. it's colder. You know, it's hot on that open hillside. You get in the timber and the thermals are still, go still going down. So your plan might change. Just constantly check to see which direction your wind's going. I mean, elk hunting, you're hunting the wind basically. Your whole hunt is based off of wind. Yeah, and so um, as soon as the other hunter in camp said, the ABCs of elk hunting are always be calling. I immediately thought to myself, like they should be always be checking. Yeah, the wind. yeah, that's, um, that's correct. Because I like, I constantly, even when I'm whitetail hunting, um, I always just am constantly uh, throwing out milkweed or hitting the, you know a, a powder bottle or whatever it might be, checking that wind. 
because there's been times where like I, I go into a stand and, and I know the same will be true for you in elk hunting. I go into a stand and I'm like, this is the day I'm gonna kill that big buck. And then the wind starts swirling and I'm like, it's better to just pull out completely. It is, I mean, that's a lot of guys don't wanna do that. They only have a few days to hunt. Say you came up for a weekend to hunt, you don't have any time, they push it too much. You blow that elk out of there, then he's gone. Or you call to him for an hour, he comes in, he smells you. You just made that, you just educated that elk. Right. You know, he's call shy now, so now he's even harder to kill. So what is your, that one story about a guy who, first time elk hunter, like, learned some big lessons and ended up making it happen. Hopefully it's me tomorrow morning, but for now, what's that story? <laughs> well, with every hunter, I try to teach them all week. I mean, even, so say we're just sitting there eating lunch. All, we're always preaching, we're eating dinner, we're preaching to you what to do, what not to do, when to draw, all these things that you can constantly learn. So if the, you might get one good shot opportunity in that six days that you're hunting. We don't want you to mess that up, so we're constantly preaching. So I like to feel like every hunter that leaves here has learned a lot because yeah. we're not just telling him what to do, where to stand. We're trying to teach him why he's doing this. Why? So, so you're always constantly thinking about why I'm doing this. Don't stand in the trail. Say the thermals are going down. You, you stand above the trail. That's his easiest route in this country is on that, going to come up that trail. Well, for you to stand on that trail, it's the easiest place for you to stand. It's quiet. There's no sticks. So you have to play those thermals in the wind, for which side of the trail you're going to stand on that you think he's coming up. You stand in the middle of the trail, you're not gonna have a shot. Because he'll be facing, I mean, he'll come right in. Then you have a frontal shot, which I don't recommend. I mean, it, it works for people, but I don't recommend it. So what's the one story? Like, uh, the one guy that like, you're like, I'm so glad that happened. I, have a, I don't know, I have so many of them over the years that. That's good. <laughs> I th I'd like to think they all learned from it, but I can't think of just one. Honestly, Joel, how about you? You got a good story? Know your distance. <laughs> know your rangefinder. Know your distance. Use your rangefinder before they come in. There you go. There you go. That's a good point. Set up. When you set up, we set you in a spot. And say, hey, stand here. Don't stand. On the, if the sun's gonna come up, don't stand in the sunlight. But as soon as you set up, kick all the sticks out from around your feet. Get those sticks out of the way. So you're not, when you go to draw your bow, you're not stepping on something and snapping it, making it noise, but range, different things around you. Say, so, okay, that tree's 20, that one's 30, this is 40. So know your range around you, so you don't have to use your range finder. That's one less motion to use the whole time. Well, and that's what like, they, we thought a bull was coming in, we thought elk were coming in. You set me up, we started calling, and like if you took me back to that same spot, I could say, okay, 18, 30, 32, 24, because I ranged all those areas that I thought I might get a shot at. Right. That way when a bull comes in, you know, it's not, oh crap, I'm fumbling for my range finder. That's just one less motion. Yeah. If you already know your ranges, and sometimes there's only in this country, it's really brushy or there's a lot of blowdowns. He's gonna take the easiest path to you. He's gonna, of course, try to circle you in the wind, but know your ranges around you so you don't have to use your range finder if you don't have to. Yeah. But definitely, use that rangefinder. Five to 10 yards is a huge difference, as all bow hunters know. Now, one thing that I'm excited to announce and talk about, I'm gonna have two things available here in the next like month. I'm gonna design a really cool design. It's gonna have the state of Idaho outlined, and it's gonna say, 
keep the dusty side up. It'll be a cool design. I don't have it yet, but I promise it'll be cool. Well, it's a saying we've been using all week. It's something it, that's stuck. Yeah, it'll be on a high-quality T-shirt. Um, I won't make a dime off these. Like, I just want to – I'm just going to charge whatever they cost for me to make them. If you – what's your boy's name? That, Joe. Joe Banta. No, the one that made the shirt that's like, keep it that set up. Oh, Rodney Maribach. Rodney. Rodney, if you're listening, thank you for my inspiration. But Rodney's coming out next week or next month. I'm going to make a T-shirt. Oh, cunt. If you want a T-shirt that says, keep the dusty side up, um, shoot me an email, thehunting101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'll let you know how much they're going to be. We'll get them made. I'm also going to make some stickers because Joel's going to put one on his truck. So um, I'm making <laughs> yes, stickers is. just because Joel's already committed to it. So if you want a hat or a sticker, a keep the dusty side up hat or sticker, um, shoot me an email, thehunting101podcast at gmail.com. Um, what is that? You've probably already said it, but what's that one early season elk hunting 101 tip you've got for us so if you're a new elk hunter new to the area i would say look for sign a lot of guys drive ridges do that calling trying to locate locate beautiful i'd go into an area but this time of year it's still warm so a wooded area and look for sign if there's no elk sign there go to wallow there's no fresh elk sign just try to find that fresh sign and set up there yeah and know the wind Know the wind. My biggest tip would be hunt the cool side of the ridge. Like if the sun is beating down on that side of the ridge, yep. Go to the other side of the go to the other side of the canyon. That's what I was gonna ask. Like so, it's cool. So for you being here for a week, I mean, what what have you learned about elk hunting? Like, um, nothing yet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that was a big one for me. Was like the cool the coolness like hunt where it's cool it's crazy to me like um i don't remember what day it was monday maybe i don't remember we're hiking and it's like super cool then you immediately like take three steps around the other side of the ridge and it's like burning hot and there's no sign on that side of the ridge you there's know, no sign at all if they have been on that side maybe it was at night but if the sun's up they're not going to be there there's no sign at all and it was just it was crazy to me like you feel that you don't get that in kansas like it's flat wheat fields it's hot everywhere it's cold everywhere but like in the mountains, it can be literally 15 degrees cooler. Yep. A hundred yards away. Those elk, they have a lot of really thick hides, so they need to be cool. They don't like the sun at all this time of year. Yeah. It's too hot for them. That was probably big for me. Um, big for me was not setting up on the trail. Um, and you know, of course, we know that like with whitetail hunting, but even in that, you're tree stand hunting, and you could be over the trail, or you know, um, so. You know, that was one of the first things that you and Mike pounded in our heads was don't set up on the trail. Well, read the um, sign. Look around, look at your surroundings. Say, wow, that's an easy spot. That's a really good spot to stand. I'm going to stand there. Well, that's the major game trail. That's what again, they're coming in think on. think like don't. a human. Like, if you want to be there, the elk want to be there, too. Exactly. Like, if that's where you want to walk, if that's where you want to walk, that's where the elk want to walk, too. So Joel just said, stay still. So movement, that's another thing that we preach all week. You're blowing all these cow calls. Maybe you're bugling. You're doing all this calling. That elk, if he's sneaking in, you don't know he's coming. He's coming in silent. He wants to see movement. So if you're moving at all, I mean at all, he's going to catch movement and he's going to hang up. So if you're a statue, you're, when you look, look around with your eyes. Don't, don't put your head on a swivel. Stay as still as you can. If you hear a stick snap, don't turn that way. Just slowly move to try to look that way. Very slow movements. Be a statue out there. Because 
you want that bull's attention to be past you on the collars. So ideally, I mean, as, as a collar, when you're on a guided hunt like this or you're with two guys, one guy's a collar, one's the shooter. You, when you're the shooter, you don't want the elk to know you're there, your statue. The collar's calling that bull past you. You're not there. That way he doesn't hang up. So he keeps dropping back. If he hears the bull coming or he sees the bull, me as a caller, I'll play the wind and I'll keep circling and dropping back to call that elk past you. Or right. we have two guys set up. Normally it's a two-on-one hunt. You try to call it through the middle so at least one of these guys gets a shot. If it swings wide or left, then one of them gets a shot. Yeah. There's a lot to it. It takes a lot of, a lot of the experience to learn all this knowledge. Well, guys, we have one more morning um and all signs lead to tomorrow morning being the best morning yet because it's supposed to be freezing cold in the morning like like uh Waylon talked about you know, we've had a 15 degree drop in temperature so that could get a lot of things started that haven't been started yet so um if you saw on the episode announcement that the picture was me with a dead elk then i shot one if <laughs> if uh it wasn't me with a dead elk then i didn't shoot one so uh, that'll answer all the questions as to did you kill an elk so um we're gonna go hard in the morning like we always do and try to get it done last day guys uh listen i'm a huge proponent of finding an outfitter that you can learn from ace outfitters here in idaho is absolutely phenomenal um been a fantastic experience fantastic camp experience hunting experience um beautiful country Waylon, where can they find you at we have a website, www.aceoutfitters.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Message us on any of that. Get a hold of us, leave a message. Call my number. It's 208-469-0087. Call them just to harass them. Yeah. Just Call to them. harass them. <laughs> That's right. Before if I don't answer, it's because I'm in out camp. Leave me a message, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and... Never mind. Don't give them your in-reach name. <laughs> that's, a, that's how you get in trouble. Uh, guys, before we go, got to give a thank you to our friends over at Boning. Um, everybody knows the blazer veins. It's what Boning is best and most known for. However, they have some phenomenal other veins. I am currently running a four-fletch with a heat vein. Uh, it's a phenomenal setup. Um, I, it stabilizes an arrow perfectly. I love that setup. It's quiet, and uh, I've just fallen in love with it. They also have some incredible Fred Bear branded products with their flannel wraps and Fred Bear camo wraps. So if you're shooting that Fred Bear camo bow, it'll match perfectly. So go check out our friends over at Boning. They also have all of the uh, tools you need to build your own arrows, all the jigs and everything to fletch your own arrows. They're a powerhouse in the industry, been around forever. I would highly recommend you to check out Boning. Guys, thanks for listening. If you want a Keep the Dusty Side Up t-shirt or sticker, shoot me an email. Um, or if you're one of Wayland's goons, uh, get a hold of him. He can get a hold of me, and uh, we'll get you a shirt or a sticker. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure and tune back in next week where we will continue our Deer 101 series. And as always, this is the first time, but this is going to be it, my new sign-off. As always, you guys keep the dusty side up. Keep the dusty side up. Keep the dusty side up.